0: Hey folks, welcome to the Electables. Uh, this is Doug Thornell, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. Adrian, how you doing?
1: I'm great. I'm great. I'm in a very good mood right now. How are you?
0: <laughs> I'm in a good mood too. Uh, been uh, it's been a just a, a weekend full of uh, a lot of news related to the primary campaign. Um, obviously, super, uh, the South Carolina primary was on Saturday. Uh, Joe Biden had a huge victory there. Um, and then news tonight that, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg is dropping out of the race. Uh, and then, you know, we've got Super Tuesday coming around, uh, the corner, uh, in, in a couple days. And I don't think we could have anyone better to break this down for us then Dave Wasserman, who is the uh, uh, editor of the Cook Political Report and an MD- NBC News uh, contributor. Dave, welcome back to the show. He's, uh, Dave's been on before. He's one of our favorite guests, but uh, just a fountain of knowledge here. Uh, great to have you on. Uh, right
2: welcome, Dave.
0: Critical time. Well,
2: I'm honored you'd have me during the nuttiest stretch of this calendar. So thank you.
1: <laughs> it really is. It really is a crazy stretch. So Dave, let's just kick it off with the big news that we just learned in the last hour tonight, which is Mayor Pete is dropping out. I want to get your thoughts on how you think this impacts, uh, impacts the race and really how you think this impacts Super Tuesday.
2: Yeah. So Adrian, it's a reminder that this Democratic race is unfolding in hours, not days or weeks at this point. And what I we know now that. could be <laughs> obliterated by something that uh, will happen tomorrow. But uh, there are two ways in which Buttigieg's withdrawal helped Joe Biden. The first is uh, obviously more of his support is going to go to Joe Biden than Bernie Sanders. Um, now, we're not talking 80 20. It's going to be divided in uh, a couple different directions here. Uh, but uh, it does help Biden close the gap with Sanders um, on a vote basis. The second way, though, is a little bit more complicated. Buttigieg, uh was not in a position where he was going to be winning many delegates on Super Tuesday. He was hovering around 10 percent in some of his better states, uh, which would equal zero delegates because you need 15 percent in any given state or district to be eligible right. to win as you've been <laughs> hammering home all year. And
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: so what that means is uh, it elevates uh, several of the other candidates in places to potentially get to that, that 15% threshold. I'm thinking of the demographic base uh, or overlap that Buttigieg has had with Elizabeth Warren. They've both been doing very, very well with uh, whites with college degrees uh, and, and people who do not want a 78-year-old um, white man to be uh, the nominee of the Democratic Party. Warren could inherit Mm -hmm. a good share of judges support. Uh, And and that's important because in a lot of states, including California, including Virginia, uh, in Minnesota, she might be flirting with that 15 percent threshold. And if it puts her over, what that does is it lowers, uh, it, it really limits Sanders' delegate hall in a lot of the states where he's doing quite well um, if Sanders is we all know Sanders is going to win California but what's the denominator um, that he divides delegates uh, with because if there are three other candidates in the race Bloomberg Biden and Warren who are above 15% then that really lowers the share of delegates that he's going to be taking out of that enormous prize uh, and th- the, the question is, where can Joe Biden make up that difference? And, uh, and right now it's looking like North Carolina and Virginia could be very good states for him in addition to Alabama.
0: Dave, um, I want to take a look back at um, South Carolina real quick. And uh, uh, one of the exit poll questions that I thought was really interesting um they were asking the, uh, they were asking people your, their opinion of all of the candidates. And for Bernie Sanders, his favorable was only 51% and his unfavorable was 43%. Uh, by contrast, Joe Biden was 77, uh, and 19. Um, and then you had Bloomberg who was 26% favorable, unfavorable was 66. Uh, Mayor Pete was 49-42, so right around where Bernie Sanders was. But I was just a little – I wasn't shocked. I wasn't surprised at all by Biden's number. But I was surprised by the f- the fave-unfave of Bernie Sanders being, you know, that 51-43 among Democrats. That's not that great.
2: <laughs> well, look, um, you're not going to see many states where the spread <laughs> and favorability is as wide as it is be- between, you know, Biden – and uh, And Sanders and Bloomberg, by the way, in South Carolina, because keep in mind, I think Bloomberg is paying a favorability penalty in a lot of the states that at least in the February states he's skipped uh, but uh, the South um, is uh, is a more moderate to conservative democratic electorate, uh, both in terms of the white voters and African American voters who participate. And uh, those things are, are good for for Joe Biden. Um, and you know, uh, there's a vast sea, I would say, an ocean of Democratic voters who do not want Bernie Sanders to be the dominee, but we're waiting for some kind of clarifying event to uh, make clear who the alternative to Bernie Sanders is. South Carolina was uh, was not only that event but it was the best possible timing that Joe Biden could have imagined. And he's going to carry that momentum likely into victories among uh, suburbanites in places like Northern Virginia, which are prosperous uh, democratic vote growth zones where uh, voters take a dim view of Sanders's promise for a revolution. But they were also torn between uh, Pete Buttigieg Uh, Amy Klobuchar uh, and now those votes are are likely to strategically go to Joe Biden
1: So Dave I want to talk to you about Mike Bloomberg I actually just got off the phone with some folks on his campaign to sort of uh, get their spiel get their take on why they're staying in through Super Tuesday, why they may stay in beyond Super Tuesday obviously there's been a lot of pressure on mike bloomberg to drop out given the fact that he said he was getting in the race a couple months ago because he thought joe biden was doing poorly and that he was going to take on sort of a moderate mantle he was going to be the alternative to biden for people who didn't think that he um that biden could could um could be successful and um and do well and he wanted to make sure that bernie wasn't running away with this now of course that's not happening. Biden did exceptionally well in South Carolina. That's not, we're not disputing that at all. Um, so my question for you is, how do you think Bloomberg, I mean, I realize there's a lot, still a lot of unknowns, especially now with Mayor Pete dropping out, but how do you think Bloomberg will impact Joe Biden's performance on Super Tuesday? Do you think him staying in the race helps or do you think it hurts Biden? Um, I would think the conventional wisdom would say that it would hurt Biden, but the Bloomberg campaign is maintaining that him in the race actually helps and keeps Bernie to a lower threshold. They actually quoted and they said that I'm w- welcome to share this information. They said that, that it's, if, if, Blo- if Bloomberg stays in the race. And it is m- mostly a Warren Bloomberg, Bernie Biden, um, race that they think that they can keep Bernie to as low as 495 delegates. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, I'm not quite sure how that works, <laughs> what that looks like, but I'd like to get your thoughts and, and, and see what you think him doing, saying the race, how that impacts Biden.
2: Yeah. 495 still strikes me as a little bit low for, for, uh, for Bernie, given what we know, but look, uh, the polls are already outdated. You know, we, we um, right we like to, to uh, say how wrong the polls in South Carolina were, but I think the main, story is just how fast-moving and late deciding this Democratic electorate is at this stage in the game. So, you know, I I expect uh, some results on Tuesday uh, to be pretty far out of line with the polling we've seen over the past couple weeks in these states. But look, overall, uh, the main impact that Bloomberg has by staying in uh, through Super Tuesday, and he's obviously put all his chips on Super Tuesday from the start. Uh, is it raises the prospect of the, and the chances of a contested convention, uh, because he will be o- over 15% in some of the states where he's had the airwaves to himself. He's essentially played the Tom Steyer role uh, in non-South Carolina contests, uh, but has done uh, more successfully, and so uh, you know he 's going to to um, to win a sizable number of delegates, even though he has no realistic chance at the nomination anymore and that uh, makes it more likely that superdelegates get get a say on a second convention ballot if it comes down to that uh, and you know the the lower that that uh, Biden and bloomberg keep sanders 's delegate hall tamped down on tuesday uh the the more likely it is that biden um, can use states like florida an older electorate to catch up in future uh, future contests so um, the final point i'd make on bloomberg though is uh, it's amazing um, what problems candidates have that money can't solve and we pay so much attention to how much the candidates are raising uh, what their cash flow is, uh, the, you know, how many staff they're able to employ on the ground. But what we're seeing in this race is that the saturation media coverage is driving voters' impressions of the candidates more than anything else. And between the debates and and the, the free media, or the um, I'm sorry, the, the earned media these candidates are getting, uh, that really is... overshadowing any of the paid communication the candidates are engaging in.
0: Dave, of the, I think it's 14, 14 or 15 states that are in territories that are going to be contested on Tuesday, is there a particular state that you're just going to be closely watching that you're really interested in the outcome? For me, it's Texas, but I'm just curious, which one are you going to be really paying close attention to?
2: Yeah, Texas is huge. Uh but I'm also going to be paying attention to uh to what happens in Massachusetts. If Elizabeth Warren can't win her home state, she has no rationale for staying in the race. Uh but you know, if she does win it, could she uh remain in the race even as a zombie candidate and uh and hamper Bernie Sanders from kind of consolidating the left uh in, in this contest? And uh, you know, of the zombie candidates who are still in the race, and, you know, uh, you know, I think credit to Judge for realizing that he no longer had, had a path. Um, Warren is probably the, the most stubborn, uh, of, of the group, in part because, uh, you know, she would be the only woman left, uh, in part because she, she believes that, you know, she's been Treated unfairly uh, at at various stages of the race. So uh, That could that could be an important result on Tuesday I'll also be watching to see whether there are any places in the country where uh, Where Sanders is shut out of delegates? We saw I was bringing down the congressional district number uh, Numbers in South Carolina in Jim Clyburn's district Sanders got 16% of the vote That's a 56 percent African-American district. And had he failed to get 15, then Joe Biden would have won that district 8-0 in terms of delegates. Instead, he'll carry it 6-2. So in a state like Alabama, uh, the seventh district, which is Terry Sewell's district, and she's endorsed Joe Biden, that's a 63 percent black district. Does Joe Biden hold under fifteen percent, and can he win that eight zero? Because I think he needs a few shutouts to be able to offset what we're likely to see in California.
1: Yeah, yeah Dave, I'm glad provide. that you raised that. I've been I've been following you on on as you know I follow you a lot. Like I I have your I have alerts on your tweets on my phone because you you provide such interesting analysis that is unique to this, and and I've been following kind of your analysis on Clyburn's district in, in South Carolina and how. Biden did there. So let's, you know, again, I know that we don't necessarily want to sit here and forecast what is going to, you know, what a protracted, contested convention looks like, but let's do it anyway, because I am interested, Dave, in sort of, you know, looking at this new construct of the race without Mayor Pete, with now just six candidates in the race, um you know, knowing that super Tuesday once all the delegates are apportioned and awarded after for super Tuesday, that we will um have awarded forty percent of the delegates in the democratic primary process um do you think that Biden will be able to con- consolidate enough of the moderate wing of the vote enough to keep Bernie to a you know a, a more competitive level with Biden? and also to keep Bernie from hitting that magic 1,991 delegates that you need in order to um, officially become the nominee? Or do you think it's still going to be too early to tell after Super Tuesday?
2: Now Super Tuesday is going to set the trajectory of this race in motion, much as it did in 2008 and 2016. It was clear after 08 that, Ob- that, oh, <laughs> excuse me, that Obama was going to um, to have an advantage in in uh, in the fight for the nomination, because we could tell based on the demographic uh, characteristics of the states uh, and how they voted that he was going to have an advantage in the remaining contests, like Virginia and Maryland um, in two thousand and sixteen. It was clear that Clinton um, had built a lead on Super Tuesday that Sanders would not ultimately eclipse whether he uh, stayed in the race or not now. I think this is going to be a protracted fight because <laughs> there are, are all kinds of pressures and incentives uh, on on candidates who even have you know very slim paths to stay in the race. But you know it could be quite clear uh, after Tuesday that um, that someone is going to end up with the delegate lead. But what makes this situation different from 08 or '16 is the likelihood that hundreds of delegates are going to go to candidates not named uh, Sanders or Biden, the top two, the only people in the race with a chance, uh, with a legitimate chance of winning the nomination. And so, um, this is this is going to take a while. uh, Whether uh, whether it's it's kind of clear who's going to end up in the lead or not.
0: Dave, uh, at this stage is it is it premature for you to um speculate on the impact, well, let me let me rephrase this. Speculate on the impact of a Bernie Sanders uh top of the ticket um candidacy and the impact that that has on uh, the house races that you cover, you know, closer than anyone. uh, Do you, would you expect that you're going to start, you know, if he was the nominee, let's say he has a great super Tuesday, he becomes the presumptive nominee. um, Do you, do are you anticipating making race changes uh, and, and, and what, what's that impact look like? Do you think?
2: So, Uh, Republicans can't contain themselves at the prospect of Sanders leaving the Democratic ticket but here's why I'm skeptical it's a game-changer that would risk Democrats control of the house uh, or at least you know alter the state of play um, in a drastic way Um, the first is that uh, there are plenty of places across the country where Bernie Sanders could run better than Hillary Clinton ran in 2016, uh, particularly in heartland uh, blue-collar districts. Uh, He could run better than than Hillary Clinton in northern Maine, perhaps. We don't know yet. Um, But the second is that voters are pretty strategic. And if there is an expectation heading into election day that Trump is likely to win re-election over Sanders, there are a number of voters who aren't going to like their choices for president, but decide if Trump is, is going to win a second term, I'm going to vote to keep a check uh, on him in the form of democratic control of the House. We saw this dynamic play out in 2016 when there were plenty of districts where, uh, where uh, both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were unpopular, but uh, the, uh, the expectation of voters was that uh, Hillary Clinton was going to win the election. And even in districts that Clinton carried, plenty of, uh, plenty of them ended up supporting uh, the incumbent Republican uh, for Congress. And then the third reason uh, is that the Democrats in the upscale districts where Sanders could, uh, could really play poorly, and I'm thinking of, you know, Mikey Sherrill in North Jersey or Abigail Spanberger in Richmond or the Orange County districts, these are places where Democrats have millions uh, on hand and, uh, you know, million plus cash on hand advantages over the Republican field where they can spend that money to separate themselves from the top of the ticket if need be. So uh, we we really haven't seen the kind of uh, recruitment or uh, or fundraising bump for House Republicans from impeachment that I thought we might. And so far, I don't think we're seeing it. Um, you know, at the prospect of Bernie Sanders being the nominee.
1: Dave, anything else you want to uh, share with our listeners before we all jump off the phone to watch uh, Mayor Pete's concession speech?
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, you know, when I when I think about uh, about a party uh, who whose supporters Uh, are 71% women and minorities. I know we talk a lot about identity politics, but I'm still amazed that uh, this race is likely to come down to, uh, you know, to two 78-year-old white guys.
1: Uh, (laughs) Ditto, it's quite something.
2: But, uh, you know, when I think of the crop of Democratic freshmen, were elected in 2018 Uh, you know yes uh, Joe Biden uh, came into their districts to campaign for an awful lot of them but the profile that really crushed it in 2018 was women who didn't have much of a political background and had some form of national security experience I think if that candidate um, were in the race and uh, and you know someone who was um, not uh, kind of politically from outer space like Tulsi Gabbard, they would mm-hmm. be doing extremely well. Uh, Who's still in the uh, race, by the way? <laughs> right, but
1: it's amazing but, uh, to see it. we
2: kind of are where we are.
1: That's such a good point. I mean, I wonder who that candidate would be because you're exactly right. It's it's you know I'm sure there's going to be a ton of analysis that continues to be done on this race and how a party that's so diverse and trending so young and, um, you know, trending very progressive in a lot of ways as well, uh, you know, narrowed the race down, you know, to essentially two or maybe even three, if you want to count Bloomberg, three white guys over the age of 75. Um, it's really quite something. But to your point, um, I, I do wonder who that perfect candidate would be. I don't know who who's out there that would fit the bill that you just described, but based on the midterms and based on, you know, how, how well some of those national security candidates, um, especially women who had a national security background did, it's kind of, uh, it's interesting to to imagine who that perfect candidate might've been.
2: And that kind of candidate might be in consideration for VP. Um, Look, you know, if, if it's Bernie Sanders, I'm not sure he has has much interest in uh, balancing his ticket on an ideological basis. He sees his path for the Democratic Party as the way forward, even if you know he he would essentially be be you know um, hijacking the Democratic Party for his own aims. But if it is Joe Biden, if it you know if there's any chance it would be Mike Bloomberg, which uh, I think is kind of dead. Um, I think they have no choice but to pick someone who's considerably to their left, uh, because the, uh, you know, Biden supporters, uh, many of them are not considering the, uh, the fury that could be unleashed at a convention if, uh, if super delegates essentially put Joe Biden over the top over Bernie Sanders. Uh, right that is trump's dream scenario um and the the skepticism the conspiratorial thinking that would uh come along with that scenario is potentially unsurvivable um heading into a general election, and that's why I tend to think it was a mistake for the d n c to keep super delegates um, in place to have any say whether it's on you know the second or successive ballots um, at all
1: yeah that's the real challenge that we're facing here as a party and you know by certainly a lot of my friends who work on campaigns and doug and i have had this conversation a lot too i mean a lot of the chitter chatter right now is you know if bernie doesn't hit 1991 or frankly if biden if nobody hits 1991 what is the magic number like you know where where is that you know separate magic number that um that that basically grants permission for the democratic party to go to a contested convention you know if there's 150 i'm just throwing this out there but i think if there's 150 delegate separation between um the front runner and the secondary candidate then that's one thing but if there's like a four or five hundred delegate separation which it looks like that's probably not going to be the case, but who knows? I mean, who freaking knows that um, that would cause even more problems if if that became the case? So, um, Doug, anything else you want to add?
0: Well, you know, I just think we started this campaign off, uh, you know, more than a year ago and the top two folks were in the polls were Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. And that's where we are today. And so with all the twists and turns that have occurred, with all of the you know, with the huge field. Um, you know, we're we're where we are today is where we started this. Um and it's likely that these are going to be the la the, the two are gonna battle this out. And um I I think that, you know, ultimately if if uh you know if if Bernie or Biden is able to get, you know, forty percent, forty plus, forty you know, some number like that of delegates it's going to be hard um for there to be a contested convention but if it's like a third a third or a third and a little bit less i mean you know then i then i think it it, it opens up that door uh and so gonna be it's gonna be uh an interesting next 48 hours though and dave thanks so much for for coming on on a sunday night
1: thank
0: you, dave. with us
2: hey thank you guys
1: we appreciate it. We'll see you on air tomorrow and Tuesday.
2: Yeah, and I should set uh, set alerts for when you guys tweet stuff out. So, uh, so thank you very much.
1: <laughs> no, and thank if you, you wanna, Dave. We appreciate it.
0: If you want to follow right. Dave on Twitter, which is um, uh, the place where I get so much of my information from uh, for from Dave, it's uh, at Redistrict. Uh, that's his handle on Twitter. Really good stuff. Um, Dave, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All right. Take care.
2: Thank you, Dave.
0: For my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, uh, this is Doug Thornell. This has been The Electables, and we'll catch you next time.